Well, amen. You can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 this morning. Matthew chapter 16 is where we'll be together today. For those of you that may not know me, my name is Michael Bean. I'm the associate pastor here at Riverview Baptist Church, and it is a privilege and an honor to be able to stand before you today and open up God's Word. I'm excited uh, about this opportunity, so thank you. I'll be in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28 together this morning, and we'll be talking about finding true life. How to find it and how to lose it. Because it is so easy for us uh, here in the 21st century to go at a thousand miles an hour. It's so easy for us to be so busy, even as believers, those of us that know Christ, to kind of get up and go through our days. And if we're being honest with ourselves, really just kind of survive. Just kind of be breathing in and breathing out and then on to the next one. Uh, But God offers us true life. In his son Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at that today in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. If you would go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of God's word together this morning. The word of the Lord says this From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we come before you now, and Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth, that it has the power to convict us, has the power to encourage us and remind us of who we are in you. And so, Lord, as we come now, we pray that we would have open hearts and minds to hear what you would have to say to us. Lord, that you would help us to be obedient and to apply the things that we are reminded of together this morning. We love you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. True life. Jesus said this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, And follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so in one of Jesus' most famous teachings about the Christian life, he offers us a paradox. And a paradox is uh, just simply a statement that upon first reading does not necessarily seem true. In fact, it may even seem self-contradictory. But upon further reading and reflection, we find that it actually is true. I want to share with you a couple of paradoxes that I've enjoyed kind of reflecting on. Um, The first one is by a man named George Bernard Shaw. It says this, What a pity that youth must be wasted on the young. What a pity that youth must be wasted on the young. I'm already experiencing the truth of that paradox at my house. I have a six-year-old daughter, and she runs circles around us every day. From sun sun up to sundown, she go, 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 go all the time. And uh, I will get to the end of the day, and my tongue's about hanging out after trying to keep up with her. And then she's saying this to me at the end of the day. Hey, Daddy, let's wrestle. And I'm thinking, 
Hold on, kid. Hold on, kid. It's, it's uh, 7 o'clock at night. It's time for bed, right? But what a pity that youth must be wasted on the young. Some days I just wish I just had a drop of that energy, the things that I could do and get done. Another one that says this by Oscar Wilde. I love this one. I can resist anything but temptation. How true is that? I can resist anything but temptation. For, for whatever is tempting to the person over there may not be tempting to me, and that's no problem. I can resist that all day long. But the thing that tempts me, that's tough. That's tough to deal with. And then I like this one. Uh, this is by an unknown author. Deep down, you're really shallow. I love that. <laughs> Deep down, you're really shallow. Yeah, and so as we think about these paradoxes, these are, these are fun things to kind of reflect on. But here's the deal. The paradox that Jesus gives us um, in this passage, he's actually speaking about a very serious reality, about a war that rages inside of each and every Christian as we go through our daily lives. Uh, the war is serious because it is life and death. And the, the war is simply this. There's a question. Each day that we wake up, as those of us that know Jesus Christ, uh, we're faced with a choice. Will I today follow Jesus or will I follow myself? Will I live my way? And the, I think the sad thing is many of us as Christians, we just kind of wake up, and, and as I said, we live in this 21st century life. We're busy. There's technology from the moment that we wake up to the moment that we go to bed that is demanding our attention. There's so many things. We often just wake up, and we hit the ground running. And if we're not careful, what we will do is we will operate in our default setting, which is not to follow Jesus. It's to follow ourselves. And so Jesus gives us this paradox to describe the war within you know, one of the things that we are as human beings is interpreters. We are interpreters of the world around us. We're constantly in conversation with ourselves. In the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam the ability to name the animals. And in ancient Middle Eastern culture, one of the things that was known and believed was that if I knew someone's name, or if I was able to name someone, it communicated a power, an understanding of that person. And so one of the things that's so incredible about God's answer to Moses when he says, Who are you? What should I call you? God says what? I am that I am. Moses, you're not going to get to put me in a category. You're not going to get to name me. I am who I am. I am the one who was and is and is to come. And so we see that this idea of naming people is important. We still do this today in our own culture. We just do it a little differently. You meet somebody and you ask them their name. And then what's the follow-up question? What do you do for a living, right? We think knowing the answer to that question oftentimes reveals a lot about the individual, so we know them. But as we go through life, we're trying to constantly answer questions, and we're constantly in conversation with ourselves, trying to find our place in the world and trying to find where we belong, how we fit. From the moment we wake up, we think, I feel good today or I feel bad today. I like the way I look or I don't like the way I look. I like my job or I don't like my job. I enjoy this particular movie or sport, or I really don't enjoy that particular movie or sport. My marriage is healthy and strong. My marriage is not. We're constantly in conversation with ourselves. And if we're not careful, the only voice that we will listen to is our own. But for the Christian, another voice speaks. Another voice is speaking each day, and it is the voice of God, calling us, as Jesus did right here, into relationship with himself, calling us every day to follow him. And so there is something that I want us to address right here at the, the very start of things, and it's a trap that I think is so easy to fall into. 
uh, and I call it the trap of common sense Christianity. Common sense Christianity. And, and here's what I mean. Um, I'm not against common sense, so just get, hear me out right here. Give me a second. Um, but I think it says something like this. I don't really need faith to follow Jesus. I don't really have to operate in faith to follow him. All I really need is to know God's commands. I need to know the information. And then I just need the common sense to apply it. And while there may be a grain of truth in that, I think we have to be careful because it's incredibly deceptive. Um, I think the reality is, oftentimes if we think that way, we'll end up kind of thinking like this. God won't ask me to do anything outside of my own common sense. And I just want to say to you that this morning, that's, that's actually wrong. That's not true. And here's how I know that. Think back with me for just a moment. What did God told Noah to build in the middle of a desert? A boat. God told Abraham when he was 90 years old, Hey, Abraham, you're going to have a son. Then God told Abraham sometime later to take that very self-same son, the son of the promise, and go and sacrifice him on a mountain. God prevented that sacrifice because he's a good God. God told Moses to return to Pharaoh and rescue his people after he had been exiled into the wilderness as a murderer. When Moses protested, he said, Lord, you got the wrong guy. I don't speak very well. I've got a speech impediment. You need someone else. You need someone better equipped. God said, no, Moses, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters who I I am, and I'm with you. And so Moses went back to Pharaoh, went back to face the most powerful man on the planet, not knowing how he would be received. God used Gideon, a coward who was hiding in a wine press threshing wheat, to defeat the Midianites and set his people free. God whittled Gideon's army down from 32,000 men to only 300. Common sense says, hey, look, you're going into battle. You need as many men as you can possibly get, right? But the Lord said, no, you don't need the strength of men. You need me. You see, God used a shepherd boy to kill a giant when trained soldiers were shaking in their boots. God allowed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be thrown into a blazing furnace for being obedient to him. Common sense would say, hey, look, just bow down and don't pray. Just bow and don't actually worship. But they stood in faith, and they were cast into a fire, not knowing what would happen. The Lord delivered again because he's faithful. But what I want us to see, the point I'm trying to make, guys, is is very simply this. God will call you into places and possibilities that will never, ever contradict his word. That's very important. But they will contradict our common sense. And we must live by faith if we're going to follow him into those places. We should use our common sense to help us navigate life, but we must never, ever replace the voice of God with our own common sense. And it's so easy to do. We don't follow a set of principles. We don't follow a cause. We follow a person, a real living God. Jesus Christ, friends, is seated on his throne today in heaven with God Almighty. He is in charge. He is reigning and ruling. He's alive today. Can I get an amen to that? We don't serve a dead God. We serve a God who is real and alive and well, and he's the one that we need. He's the one we must follow. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, That without faith, it is impossible to please God. And it is still true today that without faith, we cannot please God and we will not follow Jesus well. So I think Peter in this passage actually illustrates well the war that I'm talking about, that war within. 
Uh, Look at verse 21, and we're going to read 21 and 22 again real quickly. Verse 21 says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And in the section just before the verses that I just read, Peter has the privilege of recognizing and being the first to recognize Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. Jesus says, who do the people say to that, that I am? I say, well, some say John the Baptist, some say this, some say that. And then he says, here's what matters. Who do you say that I am? And without hesitation, Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been waiting for these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years to come and set us free. You're the guy. You're him. And Jesus says something very interesting. He says, flesh and blood, listen, common sense didn't reveal this to you. God did. God revealed this to you. Blessed are you, for upon you I'll build my church. And so Peter receives this incredible blessing from Jesus. And then in the very next few verses, he's getting called Satan. What happened? What happened? Here's what happened. Peter, the Bible tells us, began to care and set his mind on the things of man. He used his common sense. And, and what's going on in Peter's mind is very likely this. The Jews were, at this time, oppressed by the Romans, right? The Romans were the superpower on the planet, and they did not treat necessarily people who were not Roman citizens well. And so in the Jewish culture, there was this hope, there was this dream, there was this idea of a conquering Messiah, of a war king who would come and set them free and cast out these Romans so that God's people could perhaps get some vengeance and then also be finally free. And so this is probably the vision that, that Peter has. He's like, look, you're the guy. You're the one. You're going you're gonna to come in and you're going to kick some tail and you're going to set us free and it's going to be great. And so when Jesus says this, Jesus says something that doesn't fit with his plan. Jesus says, I'm actually going to come And, uh, you know, the guys that you don't like so much, those Romans, they're actually going to kill me. And Peter says, far be it from you, Lord. How could that happen? How could you, why would you say that? Why would you ever want that? You're supposed to set us free. And so his plan stood against the plan of God. And, And here's the great irony. The thing that Peter was standing against was literally the gospel itself. It was literally God's plan to save us from our sin for all eternity. If, if what Jesus is talking about doesn't happen, we all go to hell. If what Peter, or if what Peter opposed actually is, is, is not um, a part of history, then we're all in trouble. And so Peter stands in opposition to the gospel. And Jesus' rebuke is very interesting. Get behind me, Satan. Let me ask you this question. Where do you have to be in order to follow someone? You've got to be behind them, right? And so Peter, from the, from the very beginning, kind of Jesus is saying, look, Pete, you're getting out of line here. You're, you're supposed to be following me. I'm the king. I'm in charge. And yeah, my plan may not be your plan, but that doesn't matter. You've still got to follow my way. And I think if we're honest, we oftentimes do the very same thing that Peter did. The very things that God plans to use to draw us closer to him. The very things that God plans to use to to save us and teach us more about him and who he is are oftentimes the very things we don't want because they're hard and they're not our way and they're not our plan. 
I think he pictures well the experience of the Christian who sees Jesus as the Messiah, right? If we know Jesus, we come to a place where we say, oh yeah, I get it now. You really are the one. You really did come and die, and you really were raised from the dead so that I could be free. You really are the God of the universe. We kind of have this aha moment, and we're following Jesus, and we're excited, and things are good. But then something happens in our Christian lives. At some point, like Peter, Jesus' plan, Jesus' demands seem too hard. They don't really fit with our way. They don't really fit with our plan. And we say to Jesus, you know, Jesus, I'll follow you into a lot of places, but I don't know that I'm really comfortable following you there. I don't really know that I want to do that. And the moment that we do that, we have departed from following Jesus the way that we're called to. Here's the paradox for Peter. In order to be saved, his dream of a Savior had to be crushed. In effect, Jesus was telling Peter, Peter, I'm going to be a king. I'm just not going to be the kind of king that you want me to be. Are you still willing to follow? And in the same way, the paradox for you and me is that there is a way to live in modern-day America that looks a lot like really living. It looks awesome. It looks fun. It looks good. It looks comfortable. It looks easy. It looks like the life that, that we all want in many ways. But it leads to wasting your life. Jesus is saying to you today, I offer you abundant life. I do. But it's not the kind of life where you get to call all the shots and you get to do everything you want. I offer you an abundant life in following me, in being my servant, in yielding to my way. And as you do that, yes, you'll have to lay some things down. Yes, you'll have to put some things away that you perhaps care about. But you'll find true meaning. You'll find true life. You'll find that God himself is using you to make a difference in eternity. And so I just want us to just reflect on and just kind of soak in this truth. We can and we will squander our lives unless we pursue Jesus. It can happen. It's easy to do. As people in America, we are consumed with one idea, making ourselves happy. It's even written into our Constitution. Every man has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of, say it with me, happiness. It's there. And so that's what we see often in the culture, why everyone is enraged all the time. Have you noticed this? Everyone's angry. Seems like about all kinds of stuff every day. Why is everyone so angry? It's because everyone is searching for happiness. And so perhaps maybe the easiest way for me to get my happiness is to be enraged to be angry so that people will perhaps be intimidated or listen or just whatever it, whatever it costs to let me have my way. We're consumed with this idea of happiness. And like black holes, we will consume whatever comes near us in our search for happiness. In our search for happiness, we'll go through mountains of food. We'll consume closets of clothing. We'll spend days of our lives, literally days of our lives, watching television, spending time on the Internet, Facebook, We'll go outside of God's plan for sex. We'll consume cars and houses and boats and phones and golf clubs and computers and you name it. We will continue on and on and on and on, running through thing after thing after thing, relationship after relationship, trying to find satisfaction. And Jesus says, there's really a big problem here. These things will not satisfy. He asks a penetrating question. He asks this question. What will it profit a man... If he gains the whole world, but loses his soul. You see, the answer is actually in the question. 
He's saying this, you know what, you know why those things won't satisfy? You know why those things aren't enough? Because you have an everlasting soul, and none of those things are everlasting. The only things that are everlasting are God Almighty, He's eternal, and the souls of men. And so for us to find satisfaction, for us to find the true life that we're made for, we've got to find something eternal. Better yet, someone eternal. An eternal relationship. And so what I, I want you to see and what I, I hope you understand this morning is that God it did, in fact, design us to be happy. He just designed us to be happy in Him. You see, it's not that, that riches and treasures and, and all the blessings of this world are bad. Those are good things. They're gifts from God. But what we're meant to do as people of God are to look at those things and enjoy those things, even partake in, in many of those things, and say this, that's awesome. I love my children. I love my family. They're a gift from the Lord, but I don't love them as much as I love Jesus. It's wonderful. That lake out there is beautiful. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to swim. I'm going to boat. I'm going to do all those things. But I would never trade a million days on that lake for a moment with Jesus. He's better. And so in doing that, the glories and goodness of this earth, we show the glories and goodness in God as we enjoy them correctly. But there is a way to enjoy them incorrectly. You see, the kings of Egypt, the pharaohs, literally in their time, the most powerful men to walk the face of the earth, believed that they could take the temporary with them. And so what did they do? Not only did they, they bury themselves in these golden sarcophagi, but they also would take tons and tons of treasure and bury themselves in these huge rooms, and they would bury as much treasure in there as they could. They would even oftentimes take servants and have their servants killed to go with them into the afterlife. And you know what became of that treasure? Grave robbers came in and stole it. How many pharaohs can you name today? I can't name hardly any. King Tut. Here's the point. The most powerful men on the planet, no one even cares anymore. And friends, we are fools if we live for this world only. We will waste our lives. And so God has designed us to be happy in Him. And I think the pressing point then is this. Can God really satisfy? Can He really do that? Is He really enough? I think that's an important question that we need to answer. Uh, for those of you that are taking notes, you don't have to turn there, but Psalm 37.4, I want to read to you two verses from the Psalms this morning. Psalm 37.4 says this, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. What an incredible promise. I remember I read that when I was 16 years old, and I thought, now that's a cool verse. If I delight in the Lord, that means I get a Ferrari, right? And that's wrong, okay? That's not right. That is not true. That is not correct. What the verse is saying here is this. The Lord is the one who satisfies. He really is enough because check this out. If you really take the time, if you really take the time to be still and to delight in him and to read his word and to know him and to fellowship with him, all of a sudden your desires will change. The things of this world suddenly don't look so impressive. They don't look so important. The hard times don't look nearly as bad, and the good times don't look nearly as great. And that's actually not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing because it helps us see correctly that we are here for eternity. And it, here's what is at stake. What's at stake is life and death. What's at stake is heaven and hell. What's at stake is God's way or my way. 
and we need to be willing to yield our lives to him. I want to read also Psalm 1611. I love this one. You make known to me the path of life. Listen to this. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Guys, either these verses are true and trustworthy or they're not. But God's word tells us that he is enough, that he can satisfy, and that if we seek him, he will do it. It may not be our way. It may not be the way that we would choose, but he will do it. And so I think now the question then becomes, okay, I'm convinced. I do want to follow Jesus. How do I actually do that? How do I follow Jesus? I want to give you two ideas. Look with me um, at verse 24 and 25. Actually, we're going to focus on verse 24. Excuse me. It says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. First thing that we see there is, is that the invitation is open. This is an open invitation. Whosoever will. But there is a condition placed upon the ability to follow. Anyone can do it, but you got to do these things. What does Jesus say? I want to kind of put the two first qualifiers in one idea together, if we can. He says this, If anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. I think we can summarize that with a word. The idea is this, it's surrender. Total and complete abandonment of my way. When an army has been defeated and the, the new conquering power rolls into town, the army doesn't, the old army, the old regime doesn't get to call any shots and say, well, we're going to surrender, but here's how we're going to surrender. We're going to do these things. No, no, no. When the battle is won and finished, the new terms come from the conqueror, from the, the one who's won the battle. And the same is true for us in our relationship with Jesus. We must come, and we've got to surrender. We've got to put it all down. We live by dying, and we gain by losing. We have to surrender, firstly, our sinful lives. We have to come to a place in our lives, if we've never followed Jesus, if we've never listened to this voice before, we say and admit, I'm a sinner, and I've blown it, and I have sinned against a holy and righteous God, and what I deserve is an eternity apart from him in hell. I deserve that. That would be right and fair. But because of what Jesus has done for me, I want to be a part of God's family. Because he died and rose again in my place, God, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore my relationship with you and make me new. God, come and be my king. And as we do that, we find the life that we're made for. But also, we don't just surrender our sinful selves once. You see, being a Christian is a process. Theologians call it sanctification. And so we work out what God is working in us. We have to work it out. That God has saved us and he's making our hearts new. And so there's a place and a point in our lives where I look at my sin as a Christian. And perhaps it's a particular sin that has enslaved me for years. Perhaps I have a hard time taming my tongue. Maybe it's something that I shouldn't be looking at on the internet. Maybe it's some other, other thing. Maybe it's food and I delight in food too much and I eat, 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 eat. It can be a thousand different things. But whatever it is, I'm a slave to it. What we must do is we have to take it to the cross. We have to understand that Jesus died to set us free from that very thing. And here's the deal. We don't have to buy the lie anymore. Happiness is not found in pursuing that thing. Happiness, joy, true life, true freedom, true living 
is found in laying it down and going with Jesus. And so we see that we have to come and surrender our sinful lives. But not only that, we have to surrender our righteous lives. You see, I'm so sinful that I have a tendency to even try to make my following of Jesus some sort of a point system. That if I read my Bible enough and I pray enough and I do this and I get this right and I do that right, then God will really like me. No, wrong. The Lord died for all of my sins, and I am not good enough to earn my way to God. There's no amount of Bible reading that's going to get me there. There's no amount of praying that's going to get me there. Why do I pray? Why do I read my Bible? It's to know Him. It's to follow Him. It's to love Him better. It's to help me think more clearly about the world around me. And so we have to come and we have to confess that we need forgiveness even in our righteous lives, recognizing that our righteousness is filthy rags, that we don't have anything to offer. And so we come and we ask forgiveness for idolizing people over here or looking down on people over here. We lay those things to Jesus. And then lastly, we have to come, we have to surrender our expectations and desires to build our own kingdoms. The question is something like this. If, If I don't get that position at work that I think I deserve and I've, I've been working at for 15, 20 years. Is that okay? Will Jesus still satisfy me? If, if my kids don't turn out the way that I feel like they should turn out, if they go another way, is Jesus still enough? If I don't get the house or the retirement or the thing that, that I think is really going to satisfy, is that alright? We have to come to a place where we pray the prayer that Jesus prayed, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. We come and we surrender. And then secondly, I just want us to see quickly the back half of this verse. We come and we deny ourselves and we take up our cross, and then lastly, we follow him. It's interesting. So Jesus kind of says the way to come after me, also known as following, the way to follow me is to follow me. What does that mean? What's he trying to say? In the Greek, the word that, that second follow is, carries with it the idea of kind of present, continuing action. That it's now, and it's the next day, and it's the next day, and it's the next day. It keeps going on and on and on and on. And here's what I believe Jesus is saying to you and me today. He's saying real faith equals real change. Real faith is not something where I just pray a prayer And then I've got my fire insurance and I move on. Following Jesus is a daily thing. I've got to pick it up today. I've got to pick it up tomorrow. I've got to pick it up the next day. I've got to keep on keeping on. You see, it's very easy, I think, in many ways, to to start following Jesus. It's much harder to keep following Jesus. You see, the crowds came. Hey, look, we got, look at this guy. He's doing miracles. I want to come out and see that. And huge crowds came to see the man who was doing all the miracles. It's easy to start following. But after this teaching, the tide turns. Who really wants to deny themselves and take up their cross and go with this guy? Not me. That's not for me. I'm going this way. You see, it's easy to start following. It's very difficult to keep following. And that's what Jesus is saying, friends. He's saying, look. I'm glad you started. Peter, I'm glad you started following me. Don't stop now. Keep following me. Where is it that Jesus is leading us? One of the things, one of the ways that I think we can do that, how do I keep following Jesus closely? How do I keep following well? 
is um, something that the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. It's a verse that I love. It's only three words. It's easy to memorize. You ready to memorize a verse with me? Three words. Pray without ceasing. Got it? Got it memorized? Pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Well, to pray without ceasing is not necessarily to go into our closets and to lock ourselves there for 24 hours a day and to be on our knees with our eyes closed. I believe what Paul has in mind is this, that we would be in constant conversation with God as we walk through our lives. That we'd be in constant communion and fellowship with Him. And so here's why that's so important. Remember the voice that I talked about? Our voice that's so loud, that's always constantly analyzing our place in the world. As we go through our day, and it's only 11 a.m., and I'm already really frustrated, and I'm ready to just quit and be done and call it a day. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah? Okay, thank you. Uh, When that happens... And that voice is saying, this is, this is terrible. This is no good. You need to be mad. You need to be frustrated. You have a right to be angry. What we need is to turn to God and confess and say, Lord, I'm getting angry. I'm getting frustrated. God, help me to see this situation through your eyes and not my own. When we go into a situation where it seems overwhelming or, and we're afraid and we're filled with worry or anxiety, we come to God and we say, Lord, I'm feeling anxious right now at 6.30 at night about tomorrow, and I need your help. I need you to come and to give me your strength. And we confess and we go through our days, day after day after day, keeping on, keeping on, talking to the one who created the entire universe, who holds our tomorrows in his hand. And in doing so, We follow him. We walk with him. He is a faithful God. We must pray without ceasing, and then we need to recognize that information doesn't lead to transformation. Information does not lead to transformation. Transformation is only found in living Jesus' way. This is the way James summed it up. Let us not just be hearers, but let us be doers of the word. To actually do it, to actually live by faith and obey him. Because Jesus will call you to give more than seems necessary. He will. Jesus will tell you to forgive someone that seems completely unforgivable. Jesus will tell you to love somebody that's not like you and in your eyes looks very unlovely. Jesus will call you into situations that will destroy your dreams. He'll ask you to pray for your enemies and bless those who curse you, but as you do that, Jesus will fill you with his spirit, and Jesus will show you true life. This is what he promises us in the invitation to follow him. So, let me ask you this. Christian, have you been truly following Jesus, or have you been following a set of principles? Have you been in relationship with the king of the universe day by day? Or have you been operating with common sense Christianity? If you haven't been following, start today. We go back and we surrender once again and we start the conversation. We pray without ceasing. Lord, help me to follow you today. Help me to trust you today. Help me to love you as I should today. An unbeliever, maybe for the very first time, you've heard God's voice this morning. Maybe for the very first time, you've recognized God speak to you and you've realized your sin. You've realized that you need to turn. You need to allow him to be the king of your life. You need to let him have his way instead of you trying to make your own. If that's you today, I'd encourage you, admit your sin. Ask for his forgiveness and yield your life to God, and he is faithful. He is mighty to save. In just a moment, I'm going to ask Zach and Katie and the rest of the crew to come forward 
and to lead us in a time of worship. But, but here's what I want to just ask you to do this morning is to, to give you an opportunity to just reflect and just to consider what is it that God is saying to me today. And whatever that may be, to not hesitate, but to move, to do it, to follow Him. I'm going to be here at the front. I'd be honored to have the opportunity to pray with you. I'd be honored to, to share with you how you can follow Jesus. Maybe you're here today and, and you just need some time at this altar and you want to come and pray. We'd encourage you to do that. But however the Lord is leading you this morning, we encourage you, don't wait, do not hesitate, but move, act by faith. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we come before you this morning, and, and God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you 